0: Hi, I'm Hannah Sparrow. As a behavior analyst, I'm here to connect the science of behavior to everyday life. Join me as I reveal the secrets of why we do what we do and give you tools for how to change habits. Welcome back. We have a special guest, Kevin Koo. He is amazing. You will love hearing all of his perspective. But today, since it's April and it's Autism Awareness Month. We're not talking about autism itself. We're talking about the system around the autistics and what are they walking into with their diagnosis and the way they live life or parents of children on the spectrum. And I asked Kevin Koo to come on because we vent about the system all the time anyways. So we might as well share it with the world. (laughs) Um, So I'm so glad you're here, Kevin.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. I think, yeah, this is my first podcast ever too, so... (laughs)
0: and you're my first uh interview with on video so this is great yes we're we're gonna we're gonna have fun
1: it's a day of firsts
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know if you never have a first you never have a change so you gotta have a first yeah um Anyway, so I asked, I asked you on, because I wanted to hear your perspective, because you've done different things in the field than I have. So tell us a little bit more of where you're coming from, and then some of your experience as far as like the perspectives in the field, based on what people are doing, whether they're clinicians or the perspectives you've learned from the autistic community and things like that.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, like a, uh, question just asked.
0: <laughs> I ask you a lot. Let's start at the beginning. So no, people right. know where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, who's this Kevin dude? What's he have? To, why, why are we listening to him?
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So as a BCBA, right. Uh, you know, I started off working with kids, but right now in the last, I don't know, like half a decade, at least I've only worked with adults. So in group home settings, and it, it's a very different realm, you know, cause it's a lot less hours. Right. So I think kids, they can still get up to 40 hours a week, whereas adults, we're looking at two hours a month. Uh, you know, So you're looking at a huge drop-off in services, and so how do you still make things work? And also you're not, like with the kids, you'd have an RBT that you oversee over your programming, whereas in a group home, it's more about the staff that the home has hired and then you need to work with them to work with the clients and and all of that and so the structure is very very different there's a lot less control involved we have a you know the clients have a lot more rights as well once they kind of hit that 18 mark so even something as simple as doing a physical prompt like a hand over hand prompt, we ask for permission first or ideally we should be asking for permission first and so uh you know i think when i made that shift that was like a huge change for me and then uh, I would say the next big shift happened over COVID when I started getting more involved with like direct conversations with the autistic population, uh, specifically advocates too. So these are people who are fighting for, you know, autistic rights, uh, you know, fighting for rights within services. And it's not just in the ABA realm. We, we cause the biggest harm, I think, compared to other uh, other professions as well. So I don't know. I, does that give us enough to get <laughs> <laughs> I
0: work no, I, now I'm thinking some things because, because, okay, so the ABA realm, the largest one, like when people say ABA, they automatically think early intervention. I think the the biggest impact is the early intervention, just because we've pushed for funding for that for so much. But I don't think we push for funding for adults. But I think there's pros and cons with the funding. But I think there's also as clinicians, if most of the field works with early intervention, they don't have to deal as much with human rights in a sense that they don't have to ask permission for physical prompting.
1: Right. Like they're a if, minor. Like when well, when it comes to that stuff, it's like a CPS report, right? It's not that there's it, it, it seems like there's like a big gap in between what you can do with a kid versus what you can do with an adult. And, and so um, I think there's a lot of things we don't think about. Right. And, you know, both you and I, we went through this like UGuru training, right, which talks about like trauma informed care and different triggers. Right. So we, we at least have that perspective of what trauma looks like. Whereas again, just pure ABA doesn't touch on that. Like, you know, I, I think for what we do and our field, like we don't really go into other perspectives unless we have to within the work environment
0: yeah and I've learned that the more perspectives I've been able to learn because I started out a little more classic because I'm like oh it's ABA this is like quote-unquote fixes things because yeah no I I grew up in that right as like a young BCBA RBT level and all that and over time even through my own life events of experiences just the whole trauma-informed care I think as clinicians we don't take the private events or what happens in the brain or what happens physically or other people's perspectives we don't take that into account because we look at the science so much. We're like, oh, 40% lost the diagnosis at age, whatever. And we're like so excited because we think we can fix things, but it's not about fixing. It's, it's about meeting them where they're at, but you can't meet them where they're at if you don't know how they view the world. If you don't know how they view the world, how do you get there? Like, how do you connect? You have to connect with your clients and clinicians. I don't think we focus on that enough.
1: Yeah. So so, so that that brings up something um, that I never thought about until somebody pointed this out, right? So the diagnoses come from the DSM, right? Regardless of the version, right now we're in the DSM-5, um, but it's a deficit model. It's what is what are you missing? What is wrong with you? That's the question that's being asked. And so when you ask the type of question, you will always find an answer answer for it, right? That's just how our brains work. We're problem solvers in that way. So if I say, hey, Hannah, what's wrong with you? I'm going to have a really long list of stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> not, and that's <laughs> oh, right.
0: we know all my issues. We don't, we, that's <laughs> a whole other, like, I need a series. Right. Um. But, but like, but
1: if that's what I'm looking for, right? I'm going to have mm-hmm. a really long list. And but you if can I, feel
0: that when someone views that about you, there's something in how they treat you.
1: Yeah. Right. But if I flip the question around, it's like, what is great about Hannah or what is good about her? I will also have a really long list because <laughs> I think that's how humans are. There's a lot of things we okay. suck at. There's a lot of things we're good at. And it all comes down to the question that we're asking. And so I'm starting to see the shift. The people that I really respect and uh, whether they're autistic or not or whatever they're doing, they're trying to find what's right in people. They're trying to find what's good in people and to foster that, to nurture that. And to, this, this is my opinion, in my opinion, only no, not pushing this on anyone else, right? But I think that's what's wrong with ABA, right? Because our training is very heavily tied. 60% of our field works with the autism community, right? The autistic community, the kids, the parents, all of that stuff. And it is based off of DSM diagnosis. So we come in saying, here's everything that's wrong with you. And I remember bring that mentality to talking to the parents. This is why you're not parenting correctly. And man, mm-hmm. did that not... <laughs> I, I can't say that did a whole lot of good for me. Right. Because what parent wants to hear that from some young kid that's new to the field. Right. It's like, you know, I was single. I didn't have any kids. And now you're going to tell like and I'm telling parents what they're doing wrong as a parent, Woo, you know, Yep. but that's and- the deficit model. Thinking. And
0: most of the, if you're bringing in the cultural perspective into it and like who's working and doing what the mm. largest part, po- I don't have the SAS, but this is generally what I've noticed. And maybe, maybe I'm off, but I've noticed majority of the field working in early intervention are white middle-class females mm. with no children may or may not have a partner in life or marriage or whatnot, going in and telling parents how to parent and helping parents view it as we need to fix this, not mm. looking at the good in their children. And I've noticed a big shift towards curriculum. Like there's books on how do you consult with parents? And I'm like, well, first of all, are, are you even understanding where they're coming from? Like the mm-hmm. parents are dealing with lots of behaviors. They're, oh, parenting's hard enough. I got two. like, <laughs> um, but if they were in like tantrum mode a lot, I would be like, okay, I, I'm just trying to survive. But if someone helped me see the good in it, it would change everything. But I, I think that's where like our field also has the bad rep. They're like all these non-parents coming and telling parents what to do. And now I'm like. Are you a parent? Like they come to me all the time. Like, why aren't you? And like, are you a parent? I'm not going to listen to you if you're not a parent. I'm sorry. <laughs> now that I have a kid, like honestly, I'm like, first of all, are you a parent? Yeah.
1: Right. No, I I totally agree. I, I actually just googled this real quick, but uh, <laughs> so so
0: because we need
1: demographic <laughs> data from, from the BACB from the BACB. Right. Uh, 53.66 percent is white. So half the field providing services is why, whether it's across all the levels. Uh, and so I, I think you you make a really good um, point about the cultural aspect of things, right? With within every culture, things work a little bit differently, and. <laughs> and this is like a whole nother thing but, Um, th- you know when the Black Lives Matter stuff was going down right like I remember going into like these Facebook groups and somebody said something along the lines of like you know why does skin color matter when it comes to behavior and this was literally like the the week of you know Trayvon Martin or whatever it was and it's like why does it matter like we should all respond to police in the same way and then there were some African American you know BCBAs that came up and spoke up and it was like no <laughs> like I would never teach the same things and there's this cultural incompetence there's just this lack of understanding um and you know whether it's right or wrong like I I think there's personal specific examples but looking at it from that for me as a Chinese person going into a home I still kind of hold on to like all my training as a Chinese take off your shoes you know be real polite like don't go anywhere like stay unless you're asked to go somewhere. right there's a lot of these things that I think of like a, a white friend like he would never do uh and it's just a difference in culture that we just don't pay attention to, right? So I'm overly polite and he's, you know, when I go into a room with a bunch of Americans, like I'm overly polite, but then like the flip side is like if my white friend comes in with a bunch of Asians, he's kind of rude.
0: Yeah, no, you're right.
1: And so this drives a lot of our programming, right? When we talk about like, how are we helping or hurting someone? Uh, you know, if we're unknowingly pushing our own cultural values on someone, and again, it works in every single direction. It's not saying, oh, like, well, if I do it my way, I'm correct. I will get a wrong guaranteed with certain people. And I'll absolutely get it right with certain people just because of how I'm set up and what I've learned. I don't know, that, that cultural component, let's see. Oh, 7% didn't answer. American Indian, 6.61%, right? black 9.94, Hispanic 21.69. Uh, Native Hawaiian is 0.61%, right? So when you're looking at representation that way, at least what I came across too, when I was working, like a lot of the families I work with were people of color. Mm-hmm. I had maybe one in 10 families that were white.
0: And I found working in uh Bay Area, doing the early intervention, there weren't a lot of white. I didn't have as many Caucasian American clients. Uh, mm-hmm. Most were from India or China or Hispanic. Um, I had like
1: multiple families from the middle east right Mm -hmm. pakistan iran of that that area a lot of indian families as well and and then now working with group homes a lot of the staff are filipino you know and and it's pretty diverse across the clients but like the culture i need to really understand is filipino culture and again like i think early on i broke a lot of relationships because i (laughs) didn't understand it you know again i was this young kid coming in telling people what to do and again not understanding any of their stuff
0: yeah and if we're messing up culturally unintentionally so many times bring in diagnoses when we're wired a little bit differently you've got like all these subcategories that we're dealing with we're not taking those into account within our treatment that's why i love learning as many different perspectives as i can as many different treatment models as i can because not one box fits everyone because if you try to put them in a box Mm. like it's not them they don't get to become who they want to be and who they should be because they're being forced to be within this box and not respected as a human
1: well i think even that just the the concept of neurodiversity right like i i think some people just don't believe it um Mm. the Brain is the brain, right? It's a like behavior is behavior, right? But the idea behind neurodiversity is you have different types of brains. And so you can roughly categorize, you know, someone with ADHD is kind of like someone else with ADHD, but their brain is wired differently than someone who doesn't have ADHD. You hear about people, and this I kind of heard about in like personal development realm, but people like Dr. Daniel Amen, like they do brain scans and you look at someone who's depressed or with ADHD or someone who chronically drinks, right? The brains change their shape because of how their life is right it's a brain chemistry thing and that exactly goes to your point of like you we don't like these private events we have no idea what's going on inside their heads um and so this is probably how i'd respond but i have no idea how you're gonna respond unless like i know what your brain looks like then maybe i could do that <laughs>
0: We're, we're going to exchange brain card images. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be the <laughs> new thing. It's that um,
1: personality. It's going to have Tinder profiles. Like, here's my brain scan. I'm like, I can deal with that. <laughs> I can't deal with that, right? Oh, your whatever lobe is looking pretty good. That's good. Oh, good, be good.
0: <laughs> you're like, you're swollen in this section. You're really, really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> no like for real like on bumble right now they put your zodiac sign and then they have other th- things too and yeah it's going to be your personality type from all the assessments and then it's your brain shape and then it, yeah it's yes. going to be and we're going to be like oh do we match on 18 categories okay now we can be friends and maybe talk and i'll interview you anyways um it's great it's yeah.
1: great <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different things to consider right when we're looking at like what's wrong what's not being considered there's so many different things And, like, I mean, when we were kind of talking about in in preparation for the recording, too, Um, (laughs) like, we we talked about this idea of how our treatment is a representation of our perspective, right? And uh, because it's, you know, Autism Awareness Month, right? I think it's worth at least bringing up the whole idea of Lighted Up Blue and some some of the context there. So, at least to me, you know, Lighted Up Blue is tied with Autism Speaks. And a disclosure, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not. I haven't done a ton of research, but a lot of this has been uh, learned from autistic individuals. There's this basic idea of like representation within Autism Speaks. You know, a lot of people love it, and I think a lot of people hate it as well. Uh, but this this idea on their board, like they used to have someone who was autistic, and I I think they got rid of them. <laughs> and so, from a representation perspective, like how can an, aut- uh, an organization be about serving autistics, but then not have someone to give that perspective? And so, a lot of autistics pushed back on that because lighted up blue was such a huge thing because of Autism Speaks. They kind of pushed back on that. Uh, and so, now you have people who prefer red. So there's lighted up red instead of lighted up blue, and then there's a lot of the signs, right, of the puzzle piece, which again is autism speaks, and they're like, I'm not a puzzle, right, like you know, I'm very easy to understand if you took the time to try and understand. So they moved away from the puzzle piece to like an infinity sign, and so you'll see like red infinity sign, you'll see gold infinity signs, because uh, was it the the on the chemistry table, gold is Au, so for a lot of autistic, So it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. They're very, very creative. Uh, and cool. then the other option is the rainbow infinity sign too. So I would highly urge, again, like I'm not an expert. I, I don't feel comfortable going any deeper into that because I, I feel like I, I'm speaking out of turn in that sense, but I, I do think it's worth looking up, you know, for the listeners, right. If you, if you're curious about this at all, it's like, what is this about? And then you will find a ton of data or information on, on learning more about it. But to the original point of, you know, uh, I, you know, I've had friends who attend autism speak events and they're like, oh, I'm so proud. Like, you know, then they have the puzzle piece and they have like autism seeks logo and all this stuff. Like we did this amazing thing. And I think it's just an ignorance of what the autistic population only wants.
0: I think it's good in creating the awareness because then usually after awareness, down the road, supports can be developed because people actually know that there's something missing in society to help people. Hmm. Now my brain's just thinking. (laughs) It's a lot, because it's, okay, because it connects to me with the Black Lives Matter movement. People Hmm. became aware of something. They don't know all the details about it but they're like, Mm -hmm. yes, we want change. And then maybe I'm out of the loop because I'm known for being the friend that doesn't know things. Um, So I'm like, oh wait, this is happening. And if (laughs) I'm up on the news, I like, I feel very accomplished. Um, Mm. But I think they're synonymous in a way of like, they created an awareness, but not as deep and into the details as it should be because we just don't find the details, whether we don't dig to find them or we just don't realize how much more we need to do. Mm. But then it drops off after that. Yeah. Because changing a system, it's like looking like this massive entity, there's all these parts that have to change. And you have to change your perspective first. And your inside private events, as we like to call it in the behavior world, our mm-hmm. thoughts outside the behavior world, right? And our perspectives, that has to shift before anything external ever happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I think like, that's, that's what I think, autism awareness should be about in a sense, like realizing what is the actual need? What is, what, what is the, what's already there? What's the actual need? And how are we actually listening to the population we actually want to help? And I I don't think that's what we do.
1: Yeah. No, (laughs) we don't. (laughs) (laughs) We're like,
0: we have the degree. We went to school. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's yeah. about the people that we're serving. Are what we doing making their lives better? If it's not, like we're behavior analysts. We assess things and we change things. Why are we not changing our own system? We don't want to look at us.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah I think this goes into a lot of interesting and the much deeper things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, our
0: topics go very, we we cycle down.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah we'll, we like keep, it, it, we'll
0: keep it up. <laughs> there's, no, there's
1: no way to keep it surface level with us for too long. But yeah you know and i and i've heard this from you know business owners but i I think as a whole bcbas or our field because we like the structure we like the safety of knowing exactly what's going to happen when you never know what's going to happen in life they (laughs) don't want to push the boundaries you know they they just don't want to do it uh i know you and i've talked a lot about like you know when we when it comes to behavior behavior is behavior in the sense that like it doesn't have to be with autism services right like we have a branch called OBM right and like like, performance driven right like people are using within health with like there's there's small pox of people who are doing something nuts not autism services Mm -hmm. but the vast majority are too afraid to go and explore it
0: yeah
1: it's like oh I don't know what to expect I'm like yeah that you figure it out, right? <laughs> scientific method, guys. Like, like, how far back do I need to bring? It? We learned about this back in like elementary school. Scientific method, right? You make a hypothesis, you go do these things, you learn from your mistakes, and you make it better, and you eventually create your own thing. You know, uh, I think it was like last year or the year before I started when I was connecting with more BCBA's or people in the field. I'm like, yeah, our field is young enough; like, we still have to be pioneers. Mm-hmm. But pioneering is tough. Right, because you're literally creating a path that doesn't exist. Like, I'm imagining you're going through this jungle, you got cut down trees. You got you don't know what kind of animals are going to help come and attack you. You don't know what's safe versus not safe. Like, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? And, you know, you come out pretty beat up and scratched up. And I, I think people just don't want to get out of the safety of that. And, and that to me is kind of at the core of why systems are hard to change.
0: Yeah, I agree, because people, we would much rather be comfortable and feel safe because that unpredictability it's hard to live in unpredictability, mm. but like, I personally feel it's worth it in oh. the end, because what would you want to live life and not look back mm-hmm. and see that you try, even if you don't succeed, like in the way you planned, you at least did something and you tried something to right. have a purpose and a reason to make a positive impact on the people that came across your path. Whether right. clients, not clients, parents, because you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what impact
1: you'll make. I mean, I think as a BCBA, like worst case scenario, like let's say you hate the system, right? Worst case scenario is you go back and you keep working the system and you get paid well. That's your worst case scenario.
0: No, that's true. <laughs> it's true. Like I get, I get, because um, you know me, we we've joked about like, if I get bored, I'm leaving, man. Okay. <laughs> wait, right. wait, you know that. But like, yeah, so I could easily go back in early intervention, be comfortable. But like, I don't, I don't want to live life like that. I don't want to go back and just sit in the comfort of a system that I can see the breakdown when I'm like, well, we, yes, only a few. And we're all like separated all over. We're not all like this big unity, but I think it's worth the risk if it means making other people's lives better and making treatment actually human-centered.
1: Yeah. And and like, I think like the sobering point for me, because whenever it is that we have these problems, it's it's because we're focused on ourselves. Like, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? It's it's focused on me. Right. But again, the sobering point is with these conversations I've had with autistics and hearing about what just like a regular day set looks like and what it sounds like. I'm like, I don't know how they survive. Like they're super tough individuals. Like they go through a lot just to seem presentable to us just to seem normal which is obviously not the goal here right Mm -hmm. but like i i I hear them and i see them and i'm like damn like i i need to be able to suck this up like let's do something to push for it right And, and like hearing those personal stories like these are people i consider friends now you know and like knowing that they're going through that on a daily basis like how could i not try my best to help out in some way You know, like I'm going to get it wrong, that's guaranteed. There's a lot of information that I just don't have. There's a lot of perspectives I'll never have because I'm not them. But at least I I need to do my part. I need to support that somehow. And that requires me to step out of what's comfortable. That requires me to step out of what's known because we literally have to create something new. Yeah. And at least for me, that's helped me drop a lot of the ABA-ness of my life and my way of thinking. I still hold on to it pretty strong. I have been in the field for like 12, 13 years now. So I, I don't change that quickly, but. That's been the thing that I have tried to focus on. And like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's broken. I'm not gonna fix it all. I may not fix any of it, but I wanna be part of that journey of getting it fixed.
0: I agree. And it's gonna be a journey for any change to happen. A very long journey.
1: Journey, uh, journey makes it sound a little too pleasant, I think. <laughs> We're going to war.
0: <laughs> that's sound that sounded about right. And you know, it's in loving the journey, not the end result seeing those little improvements along the way make the long journey worth it. I think if it Absolutely. can, you know, one family with one kid, their treatment is different and they're able to experience the ABA that benefits them, but not the part that would in a sense, harm their child or them, mm-hmm. I think is the ultimate goal. So. Yeah. But no, I'm so glad we could chat today. And I know we could keep going on forever because yeah. our meetings go away over time. <laughs> But thank you so much for coming. we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sparrow. Listen again on Mondays and Fridays for more Behavior Talk. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can follow me on my socials at Sparrow and hannasparrow.org. But the most important is I would love to hear your messages because I want to hear what topics you want talked about.